welcome to the Just Me and My Cats podcast. How are you today? My name is Megan, and with me are my cats, Opal and Jasper. Hopefully, they'll pop in and say hi. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. Before we begin the episode, I hope you're noticing that the audio quality is significantly better today. I recently got a new podcast microphone, so let me know if this makes it better or worse. Hopefully it'll drown out all the annoying background noise. I live in an apartment pretty close to a big like highway, so cars drive by, people walk by. Hopefully it'll make it a little more of a better listening experience with the microphone. Now let's get into cool cat fact number three. This is a two for one, so hold on to your hats, everybody. The world's longest cat is a Maine Coon, Stewie, at a whopping 48.5 inches. The world's tallest cat is a Savannah cat named Arcturus at 19.05 inches tall. Those are some large cats. Can you imagine being in the presence of such greatness? Just a quick announcement before we begin today's episode. We now have an Instagram page. Give us a follow at Just Me and My Cats Pod for updates about new episodes, as well as opportunities to vote on episode topics. Info will be linked in the description. I do want to let you know beforehand that my cat Opal is very interested in the new microphone. So if you hear sniffing or tapping on the mic, it is most likely her adding her thoughts to the podcast today. Now, let's get into the reason you clicked on today's episode, Area 51. Some of you may remember the Area 51 meme way back from 2019. Can you believe it was that long ago? I promise you that we will discuss this today as it is very significant to Area 1. Area 1. I'm starting off strong. (laughs) Area 51's history. That's great and all, but some of you may be wondering, what is Area 51? It is the common name of a highly classified United States Air Force base, officially called Homey Airport or Groom Lake, after the salt flat that is located right next to its airfield. But isn't Area 51 such a cooler and more mysterious name? The thing that makes Area 51 so interesting to me and the public is that its operations are kept top secret. This leads to conspiracy theorists' minds to go wild. While the base itself has never been declared top secret, the research and occurrences at the base are top secret and sensitive compartmented information, or TSSCI. The base was officially acknowledged by the CIA on June 25, 2013, following a Freedom of Information Act that was requested in 2005. The base is located in southern Nevada, 83 miles north-northwest of Las Vegas. Nearby is a popular tourist destination, including the small town of Rachel on the Extraterrestrial Highway, or its much more boring name, 
Nevada State Route 375, where tourists, geocachers, and UFO seekers can explore alien-themed businesses. Why is it called Area 51? To this day, that remains unclear. It is believed to be from an Atomic Energy Commission, or AEC, numbering grid. Although Area 51 is not part of this grid, Another possible explanation that 51 was used is because it was unlikely that AEC would select that number. Interestingly enough, the term Area 51 was used in a CIA document from the Vietnam War. Before we get into the conspiracy theories surrounding Area 51, let's discuss what is known about the base. In 1955, the area was chosen by the CIA as a testing site for the Lockheed U-2, a high-altitude aircraft. President Dwight D. Eisenhower authorized the testing, which was conducted under the codename Project Aquatone. That's such a, like, cool name. Like, I know a lot of people on the internet that talk about Area 51 are like, that's such a weird name. Like, why would you call it Project Aquatone? But I think that just sounds like interesting and fun and like mysterious. Like if we were doing a project on the podcast called Project Aquatone, wouldn't you guys be like interested? And I don't know. Anyways, testing began in July of 1955 for these Lockheed U-2s. After the U-2 was put into service the next year, Area 51 was used to create and develop other aircraft, including the A-12, also known as Oxcart, another really interesting name, and the plane and stealth fighter F-117 Nighthawk. I don't know who's naming things here, like, but I I like their name choices. (laughs) So if you wanna learn more um, about the like specific testings, like Nighthawk, um, Project Aquatone, the A12, Oxcart, whatever, um, head on over to BuzzFeed Unsolved. Um, they have an Area 51 episode. Um, I will link it in the description too. They like really dive into like who did the testings and like interesting things that happened. So I will definitely link that below. This is more of just like an overview, you know? For those of you who are listening to the episode today, I suggest that you head on over to my YouTube channel where I have included photos of these different types of aircraft and hopefully some of the testings if I can find it, but I'm guessing not really because you know how secretive everything is, but they're pretty interesting to look at. Um, I encourage you to do your own research as well. Area 51 employees reach the facility via airplane. They fly in and out of a restricted terminal and McCarran International Airport on one of several unmarked planes that are allowed to fly through the airspace above Area 51. Until recently, satellite imagery of the base was censored. As of 2018, Area 51 can be seen on Google Maps. As we mentioned earlier, on June 25th, 2013, the CIA approved for release of declassified documents illustrating the history of the U-2 and Oxcart programs, 
in response to a Freedom of Information Act request submitted in 2005. The request was made by American intelligence historian Jeffrey T. Rickelson, 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 forgive me. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, I'll hopefully have a picture of him and his name and everything. Um, Richelson uh, worked at the George Washington University National Security Archive, and he put in this request uh, in hopes of learning more about Area 51 and its purpose. The release of the documents marked the first time that the U.S. government formally acknowledged Area 51's existence. So remember that in 1955, they started the Lockheed U-2 testing. So that's the earliest we know that things were happening at Area 51. And they didn't confirm that Area 51 even existed until 2013. That's not that long ago. That's crazy. In early July 2019, the admins of a public meme page, shitposting because I'm in shambles, that is such an amazing name for a Facebook group page. Um, they teamed up with a Twitch streamer named Smiley Coon to organize an event called Storm Area 51, They Can't Stop All of Us. Attendees were to fly out to Lincoln County, Nevada, and meet up at the Area 51 Alien Center tourist attraction to coordinate their entry at 3 a.m. Pacific time on September 20th. The goal was supposedly to infiltrate the heavily armed top secret military base. Their thought was that if a bunch of people run toward the base at once, the military won't stand a chance at stopping them. Which isn't that wise to joke about on the internet, in my opinion, because there will be people that take it seriously. Out of touch news and er, out of touch news outlets who didn't understand that it was a joke reported on the event as if it was something serious rather than just an internet meme. The meme became so popular that the Air Force released a statement to the Washington Post saying Area 51 is an open training range for the U.S. Air Force and we would discourage anyone from trying to come into the area where we train American Armed Forces. The U.S. Air Force always stands ready to protect America and its assets, end quote. The Lincoln County Sheriff estimated that around 1,500 people showed up at the festivals put on by the area surrounding Area 51, while only about 150 made the journey to the back gate of Area 51. Some people camped overnight outside the perimeter of the base, while others arrived to take selfies at the front gate and then left. One person attempted to enter the facility and received a warning, while six others were arrested for crimes. Gosh, my blah, blah. <laughs> they were arrested for crimes including public urination, alcohol-related offenses, and indecent exposure. While these people at Area 51 were either on the border of breaking the law or just outright breaking the law, there were two music festivals happening in the county in response to the event's popularity. Alien Stock in Rachel, Nevada, and Storm Area 51 Base Camp 
in Hico, Nevada. While these events were perfectly legal to attend, a local government, the local government, I am so sorry, and police feared that even these events could be problematic if too many alien fanatics attended. After the raid, a promoter for the Area 51 base camp event stated that their event was a failure. While Connie West, the woman who organized Alien Stock, said her event was a total success. Although much less than the estimated 30,000 attendees expected, and a false press release stating that Alien Stock was canceled, the event was thought to have brought the largest influx of people to visit Lincoln County at the same time. So that was good publicity, even though there was like some questionable like things happening in the background, people trying to get into Area 51. It was a good way for like Lincoln County to get its name out there and like, hey, we have some really cool alien stuff you guys might want to check out. So there's there's good and bad (laughs) to the 2019 thing. All right. Enough of the history, you guys like me, want to know what the conspiracy theories are. What is going down, or what do we think might be going down at Area 51? Many believe that Area 51's purpose is to examine and reverse engineer crashed alien spacecraft, including material that was supposedly recovered from the Roswell incident. Don't worry, we will definitely be discussing that and the study of creatures inside those ships, the creation of aircraft inspired by alien technology, and secret meetings or joint projects with extraterrestrials. In 1989, a man named Robert Lazar claimed that he worked on an extraterrestrial technology at a secret site called S-4 just several kilometers south of Area 51. He told Las Vegas reporter George Knapp that he saw autopsy photographs of aliens inside the facility and that the U.S. government used the facility to examine alien spacecraft. Now, before we get more into Robert Lazar's theories and conspiracies and supposedly what he did with the alien spacecraft. Let's backtrack. Who is Robert Lazar? Definitely an interesting character. He was born on January 26th, 1959 in Coral Gables, Florida. I couldn't find much about his childhood, but he graduated late from high school in the bottom third of his class with chemistry as the only science class under his belt. He then attended Pierce Junior College in Los Angeles. In 1982, Lazar worked as a technician for a contractor company that provided support staff to the Los Alamos Mason Physics Facility within the Los Alamos National Laboratory. Laboratory. In 1986, he filed for bankruptcy, where he described himself as a self-employed film processor. Lazar owns and operates United Nuclear Scientific Equipment and Supplies, 
where he sells a wide variety of materials and chemicals. Robert claims that he obtained a master's degree in physics from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT, and in electronics from the California Institute of Technology, or Caltech. However, both of these universities show no record of him attending their schools. Two scientists, Stanton T. Friedman and Donald Prothero, have stated that no one with Lazarus High School performance record would be accepted by either of these universities. And don't worry, Lazarus claims only go further, my friends. Supposedly, Lazar is a physicist. He claims to have done this type of work at his time at Los Alamos Mason Physics Facility, which, my gosh, it's like a tongue twister to say. In 1982, a local journalist interviewed Lazar about his interest in jet-powered cars, dubbing him a physicist. However, when looked into further, it was determined that Lazar was just a technician and contractor firm and that he worked not as a physicist for Los Alamos. The laboratory has no records of Lazar, stating that the physicist's title was self-proclaimed. The Smithsonian hopped on that too and said, yeah, it's just self-proclaimed, he's not really a physicist. So I thought it was interesting. <laughs> uh, back to 1989. So this is when he is talking about his time at S4 on that talk show. Lazar had become quite popular with the media under the pseudonym Dennis. In May of that year, Lazar, or Dennis, was interviewed by investigative reporter George Knapp on Las Vegas TV station KLAS with his face hidden to discuss his time working at S4, which he claimed was a subsidiary facility that existed near Area 51. He claimed the site contained concealed aircraft hangars built into a mountainside. Is it hangars or hangars? Just, <laughs> I don't know, just pick one. Um, his job was supposedly to help with the reverse engineering of one of the nine flying saucers. One of these nine flying saucers he called the sport model was made of a metallic substance. He claimed that his job interview to work at the facility was contractor EG&G. And I tried to look up EG&G and see what it was. It's like this really, really hard to pronounce name. Um, it's just a contracting company. So if you're really interested, go look that up on Wiki. I don't want to slaughter any more words today than I already am. <laughs> so he, uh, the job interview to work at um, the facility was a contractor, EG&G, and his employer was the U.S. Navy. Of course, EG&G, the company with the impossible name to pronounce, has no records of him in their system. His employment at the Area 51 subsidiary has also been discredited by skeptics, as well as the U.S. Air Force. I feel like when you have all these people discrediting you, it's hard to keep up with the facade. Well, I don't know if it's a facade because maybe he did, but I just feel like it's hard to keep up with the facade that you worked with Area 51 when all you have really is chemistry under your belt 
and, you know, a degree from a, a college, but not, you know, the ones you're claiming, like MIT or Caltech, right? Anyways, um, Lazar claimed that the propulsion of the sport model ran on an antimatter reactor and was fueled by the chemical element atomic number 115, which at the time had not been artificially created. It was first created in 2003 and later named Muscovium. As of right now, no stable isotopes of Muscovium have been synthesized. All have proven extremely radioactive, decaying in a few hundred milliseconds. But what was so special about element 115 in relation to the sport model? According to Lazar, it allegedly generated gravity waves that allowed the vehicle to fly and evade visual detection by bending light around it. Lazar explained that the craft was dismantled in the S-4 facility and the reactor he studied was topped by a sphere which emitted a force field capable of repulsing human flesh. So this might sound like a stupid question, but like if the craft was dismantled, would this force field still exist around it? So like the scientists studying it like, would their skin be repulsed? Like, how, like, would they have, I'm sure they would have had to wear, like, specially designed suits that can withstand this force field or whatever. And maybe the force field turns off, like, conveniently if the spacecraft is dismantled. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe this is a stupid question. Anyways, <laughs> enough of me trying to understand this. Um, Lazar explained that the craft was split into two main levels. So the reactor that we just talked about um, was positioned at the center of the upper level with an antenna, antenna <laughs> extending to the top, surrounded by three gravity amplifiers. So these gravity amplifiers connected to gravity emitters on the lower level, which can rotate 180 degrees to output a gravity beam or anti-gravity wave, and that the craft would then travel belly first, that's his quote, not mine, into this distortion field. So Lazar claimed that during his joining of the Area 51 SR program, he read briefing documents describing the historical involvement of Earth for the past 10,000 years with extraterrestrial beings described as gray aliens from a planet orbiting the twin binary star system Zeta Reticuli. As of September 2019, no extrasolar planets have been found anywhere in the Zeta Reticuli system. In 1989, Lazar said the seats of the saucer he saw were approximately sized for a child and that he had seen alien cadavers 
of a corresponding size. He said that while walking down a hallway at S4, he briefly glanced through a window and saw what he interpreted as two men in lab coats facing down and talking to something small with long arms. Three decades later, he said he did not think he saw an alien, but rather a doll used as reference for the size of the alleged aliens, and that a nickname used for them was the kids. Huh. Lazar alleges that his employment and education records have been erased, of course. However, skeptics Donald R. Prothero, Stanton T. Friedman, so the two from earlier that said there's no way he would have been able to go to Caltech or MIT with his like high school performance, and then a new friend, Timothy D. Callahan, find this to be impossible and that Lazar has no evidence of alien life or technology. I mean, he, other than his spoken word, he really doesn't. Um, in 2017, Lazar's workplace, remember the company he owns that I mentioned earlier, that um, United Nuclear, um, that's his workplace, uh, was raided by the FBI and local police, which Lazar theorizes was to recover this element 115. Um, and remember, the first um, like artificial creation of element 115 had already been done in 2003. So, I mean, maybe like he wasn't supposed to have his hands on it or something. This is, his, this is just his theory. So he thinks that, oh, maybe they just came to get this element 115 I've been talking about. Um, yes, a substance he says he took from a government lab. So yeah, he should not have had this substance. Um, however, so just discredit everything I basically said. I was just trying to be like, let's give Lazar some credit here. But um, no, records obtained through a freedom of information request show the raid was part of a, are y'all ready for this? I wasn't either when I first read this article. He was part of a murder investigation to determine whether his company sold thallium to a murder suspect in Michigan. Lazar is not listed as a suspect in the investigation as of now. So I guess he is not a suspect anymore, but he was at one point. That's kind of sketchy, right? Um, it only gets worse. Um, in 1990, so go back a little bit, Lazar was arrested for aiding and abetting a, oh my goodness, this is what happens when you get into conspiracy theories and true crime. Lazar was arrested for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. This was reduced, however, to felony pandering, to which he pleaded guilty. But his punishment for this, I... I can't. His punishment was to do 150 hours of community service, stay away from brothels, which I mean, good, good, that's, that's a good um, punishment, and undergo psychotherapy. Also, I mean, all, all of those are great punishments, but I feel like they're not strong enough for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring, but you know, that's, that's just me. Um, in 2006, 
Lazar and his wife, Joy White, yeah, his wife's getting involved too, um, were charged with violating the Federal Hazardous Substances Act for shipping restricted chemicals across state lines. The charges stemmed from a 2003 raid on United Nuclear's business offices, where chemical sale records were examined. United Nuclear pleaded guilty to three criminal counts of introducing into interstate commerce and aiding and abetting the introduction into interstate commerce. Banned hazardous substances as well. Um, in 2007, United Nuclear was fined $7,500 for violating a law prohibiting the sale of chemicals and components used to make illegal fireworks. So, I mean, illegal fireworks, prostitution rings, um, selling banned hazardous substances. We've got, we've got a bit of a record here. Um, so journalist Stephen Roderick and author Neil Nixon write that f there's only been further doubt cast on Lazar's credibility due to his criminal activity. Author Timothy Good and filmmaker Jeremy Kenyon Lockyer Corbell, who have perpetuated Lazar's story, concur with this assertion. I, I agree. Like, I feel like if you've got a criminal history with some questionable things going on, um, it does cast a little doubt on if you are telling the truth about, you know, your time possibly at, you know, a facility dealing with aliens. Like, I don't know. What do y'all think? So although Lazar has been discredited by many, um, his claims have spawned a lot of conspiracy theories, most of which involve the existence of extra terrestrial life. Since the U-2 testing in 1955, many people have reported seeing UFOs in or near Area 51. According to the CIA, any and all UFO sightings near Area 51 can be attributed to test flights of military aircraft. What do you think of that statement? Any and all UFO sightings should be attributed to military aircraft. Hmm. And not only that, what do you think of the Lazar theory and story? Like, wow. He's, I mean, he's, he could be right. You know, maybe they did erase his records because he was a top secret employee. But I just feel like there is so much against him that we can't. But I, I'm curious what y'all think. Um, let me know. All right. In June 2021, so quite recently, I remember this happening. Uh, it was like a headline briefly. Um, and then it just kind of got thrown in with everything else because we were all dealing with so much at the time, like news-wise, world-wise. But... In June 2021, a document acknowledging the existence of unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, more commonly known as identified flying, unidentified flying objects or UFOs, was released by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. 
This document focused on events that occurred between 2004 and 2021, with the majority occurring within 2020 and 2021. This increase can be explained um, because a UAP reporting system was established by the Navy in 2019 and fully adopted in 2020, allowing for an easier way to report these sightings. Um, the report mainly contained UAP witnessed firsthand by military pilots and those registered on aircraft sensors, including radar, infrared, electro-optical, and weapon seekers. These sensors can provide accurate information about relative size, shape, structure, velocity, and range of UAP. Of the 144 reports in the investigation, 80 involved sensors. Most UAP appeared to be physical objects. One was identified as a large deflating balloon. However, the remaining 143 remain unexplained. All UAP are expected to be categorized by one of five categories. Category one is airborne clutter. So this would be birds, balloons, recreational drones or plastic bags. Category two, natural atmospheric phenomenon. So ice crystals, moisture, thermal fluctuations. Number three, USA or industry developmental programs. So classified government programs. Category number four, foreign adversary systems. Advanced aircraft by countries other than the USA that use breakthrough technology. So technology that we have not used in the US yet or even come up with. So that's like, whoa, like that is some UAP right there. We don't know what that is. That's pretty impressive. And then number five, category five is other. So this is UAP without enough data to be identified as well as alien spacecraft because, you know, you can't identify alien spacecraft because it's very, very uh, different from our traditional spacecraft. In 18 of these reports, UAP exhibited unusual movement patterns and appeared to remain stationary in winds aloft, move against the wind, maneuver abruptly, or move in considerable speeds without discernible means of propulsion. Basically, this UAP um, and like all 18 of these UAP um, were basically defying the laws of what we know are typical aircraft or birds or literally anything that flies in the sky um, can do. So took me a while to get that out, but you, it's, I was just trying to translate that extremely like hefty quote there. So these patterns could be due to sensor errors or observer misperception, but they could also be due to breakthrough technologies from Earth or something a little bit more alien. The New York Times and other media outlets have reported that UFO sightings increased in 2020. 
mainly due to the fact we were dealing with the pandemic and more people were looking up at the sky since there was literally nothing else to do. We were trapped. <laughs> um, the National UFO Reporting Center, founded in 1974, and the Mutual UFO Network, founded in 1969, are non-government agencies that collect information about and investigate UFO sightings. While the majority of UFO sightings can be attributed to satellites, meteors, planet Venus, birds, planes, drones, and the light simply playing tricks on the eye or the camera lens, a small percentage of UFO sightings do remain unexplained. While the majority of UFOs can just be explained away, astronomers predict that there are over 300 million inhabitable worlds in the Milky Way alone. So it's not unreasonable to consider that there might be something out there. So keep your eyes open because you never know what you might discover. <coughs> On the Patreon and just me and my cat's Facebook page, I set up a little poll on what topic we should cover for next week's podcast. If you want to be included in the next poll, make sure to keep your eyes and ears open. I will be sure to keep you posted here on the podcast and on Patreon, Instagram, and Facebook at Just Me and My Cats Podcast. It was decided that next week we will be discussing one of the most crazy and mysterious museum thefts in history. The Gardner Art Museum theft, still unsolved after 32 years. I know, wild. So, thank you for joining me on today's episode about Area 51. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I had so much fun researching this topic. I thought I kind of knew every, well, not everything, but a lot about Area 51, and I was blown away by the stuff I found, like Bob Lazar and the, um, you know, declassified documents that came out. So that's, that's so cool. Like, we're both learning today, and I love that for us. So see you next week. We're going to talk about some art theft and you could possibly get away with it because whoever did this still hasn't been caught. I don't condone art thefts at all. I mean, we want to preserve our art in the museums, but these guys got away with it. That's wild to me. 32 years. All right. Well, I will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Me and my cats love you so much. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.